Hearing hell's hammer, just thinking of devil tree Planet white panics, a hat that's so old I'd rather ride about her in my diary Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With you as always is Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. Today's guest, I think I met way back in 2005. I mean, I guess technically he is the most well-recognized rock star in the city of Philadelphia. When I first met him, he introduced himself to me as ICJ. And there wasn't really... <laughs> really nothing icy about him i mean he's just a super nice guy well that, i i now remember that but <laughs> yeah this is back at the armor music hall i believe i think it's like 2007 did i really say that to you <laughs> yeah i was like my name's b.o.b and you're like i'm icy oh okay I was like, I was right because like, you introduced yourself as b.o.b yeah. so i thought i had to counter <laughs> so i uh i think i first found out about ike from a billboard. I think I remember being on 76 and seeing, you know, 93.3 WMMR, Ike. I can't recall the single, but I definitely remember the picture. I have that picture, actually. It was We Like Sugar, because okay. it, was, yeah. it was the short period of time where WMMR was mm -hmm. putting, like, the now playing oh, yeah. up on billboards. And which was awesome. Which because, was incredible. You know, I, I really, at that time in my life, I wanted to be a full-time musician, you know, and coming back from Los Angeles to the city of Philadelphia and seeing this band Ike, it was a major goal of mine to try to play a show with you or to open for you or to do something. And then all of a sudden we were thrust into the 93.3 WMMR local shot series with Jackson and uh, we had a, a good run there. It was a very so good run for a lot of a lot of really great yeah. bands at that point. So with uh, no further ado, <coughs> welcome to the show, Mr. John Fay of the band Ike. Thank you, Bob. Um, Thanks for having me. So the big news circulating social media a few weeks ago, an Ike reunion. Yes. The first time since, what, 2000? Uh, it's been about, we did like a little mini set about two years ago mm -hmm. um, for the um, WSTW Hometown Heroes Awards show. Yep. <coughs> so and that's based in uh, Delaware. It's in Delaware, mm -hmm. yeah. So we played like a little five-song show at the World Cafe mm -hmm. in Wilmington. Uh, but this will be, you know, kind of the first full set that we've done in a few years. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about it. And it came about um, because it's uh, it's at the Dewey Beach Music Conference yes. down in Dewey Beach, Delaware. And it's the 15th uh, year that they're doing the conference. Mm -hmm. And um, the organizers um, asked a bunch of bands that had actually played the very first one, mm -hmm. uh, which Ike did. Um, to kind of oh, play wow. you a, the, the first one, yeah, and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of bands, um, you know, are are now technically defunct or on yeah. you know permanent hiatus or whatever you want to call it. Um, so uh, we were really excited that they yeah. asked us to do it. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a, a fun time to get back together and. and so was it a difficult process talking to the guy, the guys and the girl? Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, let's do the show. No, everybody? no, everybody is. It took like one text, one, and uh, within probably. like three minutes, I'm in, yeah. I'm in, I'm in. It was easy. That's that's good. No. That's good. That's <laughs> it was very rarity. easy. Well, it's uh, very exciting. Um, so when is the show again? Uh, the show is uh, Saturday, September twenty fourth, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we're. We're playing um, at the Rusty Rudder down which in is a cool Beach, venue. which is a really cool mm -hmm. venue, and um, uh, you know it's 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 really exciting. There's there's a lot of really good bands on this year, and it's usually pretty great every year. I hear it's great. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and um, so it's going to be cool. Like it's going to be for me. It's one of those uh, weekends where my, my other band, my current band. Mm -hmm. uh, John Fay and those meddling kids, which is a great name, by is, the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, is playing on the Friday night, and I'm also doing like an acoustic set during the day on Saturday. So it'll be one of those like three shows in 24 hours, all day, yeah. kind of thing. You gotta watch your voice on that I'm one. I'm gonna right? have to be very yeah. vigilant. <laughs> do you like after shows? Do you like? Would you talk to people like for hours, or would you try to like save your voice? Um, yeah, I end up talking to people. You know, I mean, it's that, hard, right? It's it's hard to just you know. I sing songs Walk to away. my son like, uh, <laughs> daily, and like I'll, I'll get through like one or two songs. And I'm like, man, my throat's killing me, dude. It's tough yeah. being the lead singer. Well, that's the know? thing. It's like actually like talking. You know, is if you're not really thinking about how you're speaking, mm -hmm. is actually much worse for your voice. Yeah. Than singing is because yeah. at least if you know, at least for me, like if I'm mm -hmm. singing, I'm in a mode of well, I know how to do that correctly. You got it. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. but it's 
talking in a loud bar afterwards that tends to do the that most was damage. The, like, the least, I, I just couldn't hear people, and like, I, I didn't want to be rude, but I was just like, I can't. I well, can't, that's I can't the thing. Think. I'm at the point now where I'm pretty deaf. Me too. You know, like especially in those settings. Both like, ears or one ear? That's it's just in general. <laughs> My left ear is gone. So, you know, I, I'm sure it's annoying for those who are talking to me, mm-hmm. but I'm like. Can you repeat that? And then yeah. I put my ear up to their mouth and hold my <laughs> ear. Yeah. I'm like, don't worry, yell into my ear. I got really good at one point just by reading people's lips, just like, because I, like, I couldn't hear. I'd be like, oh, yeah. we're playing next week. <laughs> like, yeah. Sometimes that's easy to do, and other times, you know, the people are slurring their speech as it yeah. is, and it's a mm-hmm. little harder to lip read. And they're, they're feeling really, really good. Yeah. Uh, it's got to feel really good to have Ike back, you know. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's any time well, a band comes back that I played with during, you know, my my time with Downtown Harvest, I get excited, you know, because we've been talking a lot on the podcast here about bands in the city of Philadelphia and just mm-hmm. the raw, unbridled talent that came out of it. And, yeah. And, you know, it, it just, I mean, I'm sure there's still bands out there now. Um, I'm kind of, you know, out of the scene at the moment being a dad, but mm-hmm. I mean, those times were awesome, you know, and uh, we do have Jackson to thank for that. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he really put us on the map, you know, like um, playing our songs, helping us. Yeah. That, that's not common. You it's know very I mean? uncommon. You know? um, and we're, we're actually really lucky in the whole, you know, tri-state area mm-hmm. of uh, having like a few radio people that are, that's cool. that are like him, and, and he's been like the spearhead yeah. uh, of that for a lot of years and he still does it with his uh, artist of the month the artist of the month thing yeah. and, he was talking um, about that and it's cool and he has yeah. a band play open for the mmr barbecue i mean right. you can't get any you know th- that's just like the top right there um yeah so with the the ike reunion can they get tickets for the show <coughs> the night of the or? show is actually a free show free show yeah okay ladies like, and gentlemen it's free out there there's no reason not yeah. to get on the, the so road. Dewey Beach Music Conference, um, the shows are free admission. Really? Yeah. The whole thing? The whole thing, yeah. What is it? Is based um, in the conglomerate of restaurants and bars, so that way they... Yeah, well, there's a, there's a, there's a guy uh, who's, uh, um, who basically, he's, he's not uh, officially the mayor of Dewey Beach, but mm-hmm. he might as well be, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he owns the Rusty Rudder, Bottle and Cork, and... Uh, a lot of the stuff Flying on fish the is there, right? Isn't it, is that uh, well, okay. Dogfish Head dogfish, is in Rehoboth. Right. I got that's okay. a that's a separate thing, but uh, but you know, so uh, he and um, this uh, woman Vicky Walls, mm-hmm. who actually I've known for over twenty five years, she was actually my first manager mm-hmm. way back in the day, and she is the organizer of the conference, and she does this amazing job every year mm-hmm. of just. You know, it's it's one of the. I don't really do a lot of music conferences anymore because mm-hmm. I really I, I'm I'm not really in a place in my musical life where like I'm so much. Uh, you know, there's a time, a certain period yeah, <laughs> when you're like really going for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you would go to every music conference mm-hmm. you could and this and that. And Dewey's really the only one that I still do mm-hmm. because it's so well put together mm-hmm. and it's just fun to be there i mean you're at the beach yeah so how great which is, is that awesome. <laughs> and who knows what type of weather you'll have you know i mean right. it, it was 90 degrees the other day now it's like a crisp yeah. fall it's morning. usually really nice uh in the early fall down there mm-hmm. I, I prefer it to like the blistering heat of summer yeah. you know I don't, I've never that's when i like summer. to be at the beach the yeah. most actually um, but you know, I mean, they just they just make the musicians feel so welcome and special there, and like like every day they like have an event where you get a free meal and no, that's, you know, I mean, they they put a lot it's into important it. to take care of musicians, right? You know what I mean, but I not mean, every, but not everybody does. So no, when, it, when it happens, people, you're very appreciative. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always say to like young bands coming up who you know they they kind of just they just take so much shit because they don't know. But I always say to them like, look, you know, the jester made the king and queen laugh he was ridiculed but he slept in the king's castle <laughs> and he was treated right you know there what i mean you, you entertain people it's 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 a process and I, I think that you know most venues should take note there's a lot of good venues that do but um that's definitely one thing that i think is important mutual respect between audience and musicians yeah so definitely. um the legacy 
the mythology of Ike. <laughs> the mythology. Okay. Usually we start at the beginning of a podcast going back in time, but okay. we're going to start right now with, uh, you know, 88 miles per hour, jumping into DeLorean with me. <laughs> We've got all the Strap tools in. necessary to yeah. get back in time. Your musical career, I mean, I guess I read briefly online that you, first time you ever played in a band was with uh, your math teacher in high school. Yeah. Wow. That's true. That okay, is true. And now let me think of I read this a few days ago. Let me recall. I got dad brain. Smoking lizards? Suburban lizards. Suburban lizards. I suppose. Okay. Yes. So tell me about the suburban... This this is legit the first time... This is the first, like, public performance. So Mm -hmm. when I was about 14, uh, my friend uh, Keith Green uh, had a drum set at his uh, house, Mm -hmm. which I became obsessed with and coveted. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would always look for excuses to uh, go down to his basement and just play his drums. And that ended up being, like, the first instrument that I really focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, uh, like, he played bass, and we... Actually, the first um, little... We were, we, we were kind of in a band with this older dude who was... Like, we were, like, 14, 15, mm-hmm. and this guy was, like, 20, so much older... Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of uh, gave us our first experience of like just being in a band situation. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we never played a gig. He grandfathered you in. He, he kind of just you know he showed us some ropes with uh, you know like some what you would call like comical hardcore music, mm-hmm. which is kind of what the, the first stuff that we were playing. But then <clears throat> some of my friends in high school um, were musicians, and and we kind of uh, eventually got this little group together. Uh, which <clears throat> had no bass player. Mm-hmm. Like, my, my friend Keith was not involved in this, so this was two mm-hmm. other friends from high school. Um, and we had an opportunity to play the Halloween dance mm-hmm. at my school. Awesome. And um, so we somehow found out that our uh, math teacher, uh, Mr. Rocca, mm-hmm. was a bass player. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, I, you know, it's... <clears throat> you know, when you're in... Uh, like ninth grade like you have like no concept of how old your teachers actually are yeah you think that they're really old but they're really not right so this guy was probably like you know 26 or something at the time you know he's the old head though right so you know we basically somehow roped him into playing uh this and it wasn't even like he learned all the songs Mm -hmm. like we were like can you just play bass on the first four songs Mm -hmm. in the set or whatever so we play this show. We open with uh, Twist and Shout and I Will Follow by nice. U2, which... That's a great song. People go apeshit. I love that song. Yeah. And then um, the third song was an original, mm-hmm. and it cleared the room. <laughs> <laughs> was it like punk or like... Uh, uh, you know, I don't... Uh, what genre would you describe it as? You know, we had... Uh, I don't even remember much about the song, but I remember mm-hmm. it had the 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 drum the Beatles drum beat that goes boom, blah, 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 boom, blah, it, like the Ticket to Ride drum beat. Oh yeah, 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 yeah okay. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much the end of the gig because mm-hmm. <laughs> we did like two originals in a row. Everybody like left the room, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were like completely like devastated because we only really you know we had about seven songs and we opened with the two covers. And, uh, you know, maybe in retrospect we should have spaced them out or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Kids can be cruel. Kids can be very <laughs> cruel, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it, it gave me my first uh, glimpse into the, the world of audience psychology. Mm-hmm. So at this time in your life, um, who were you listening to? Who, who were you being inspired <coughs> to current music? Um, at that point, which I guess was, uh, it would have been... Uh, a little bit of a multi-headed monster of mm-hmm. things that I was listening to. I was very into uh, the Police and the Go Go's nice. as an entity because mm-hmm. I, they were the first concert I had ever gone to, oh, which cool. was the, the Police uh, headlining the Spectrum with the Go Go's. That must up. have been awesome. It was life changing. I missed the Spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I was I saw some great shows there, mm-hmm. and. Um, and but I was also uh, you know because of that other uh, band that uh, I was in with my other friend you know I, I was very into like the Dead Kennedys mm-hmm. and the Sex Pistols and uh, listened to a lot of Clash 
Um, and then <clears throat> I was always I always kind of carried the influence of my older sister's record collections from when I was really young. Mm -hmm. So you know the Classics, Be the yeah. Beatles and a lot of. Uh, what you would call early 70s singer-songwriters, mm -hmm. you know, Janice Ian and mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. So it was kind of a weird uh, mix. mishmash of stuff, but it all made sense to me. Mm -hmm. I recall uh, the first time I uh, discovered the Sex Pistols just because I had seen the image of their logo, mm -hmm. and I was just like, what, what is this, you know? Got into them, and I remember just being so devastated that there was only one album. Because I didn't right. know, you know, right. there's no internet. You couldn't search the like, band's wiki right. page to see. And I remember just being like, they were this influential, and they only had one album, and then they... Right. they I, I bought, like, a VHS tape for this guy at the Plymouth Meeting Mall used to sell concert tapes. This is how you watched music before YouTube. You right. buy tapes. Yeah. And it was their last performance at Winterland. In San Francisco. Yeah, and yeah. Johnny Rotten just, like, quits on stage. Right. He's like, uh, you ever feel like you've been you've cheated? You've been cheated, yeah. yeah. And, like, right. that was it, and they were done. And then Sid, you know, went on a destructive path of right. drugs, and eventually he passed well, away. Well, yeah, it's it's so funny to think about that, because, mm -hmm. um, so I would have been probably like 11 years old in mm -hmm. 77, mm -hmm. and uh, I definitely remember seeing something on TV with... Johnny Rotten, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if they ever did a television appearance uh, when they were in the States before they everything did. imploded, mm -hmm. but I saw that television appearance, and it's just like this this angry, you know, spiky-haired mm -hmm. face yeah. coming at this, you know, 11-year-old yeah. me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, it, and I was like, wow, this guy's just out there. Something about that band, man, it just still gives you know, me. You well, know? I don't know if you've ever heard. They, they, yeah, they only have the one official album, but there was also this this record called Carry On Sex Pistols. Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever I ha yeah, I have you it. have it. Yeah, With all the radio band. interviews and stuff yeah. like that. And the performances that they would do, like the B-sides and stuff. Right. Uh, even the soundtrack is great. Uh, uh, the, the Sex Pistols film. Uh, the Rock great and Roll Rock Swindle, Swindle yeah. yeah. Who Killed Bambi Inside. Like, yes. I remember just being like... So all that stuff was very... Like, I probably listened to Carry On Sex Pistols more than the actual album Actually, at, yeah. at a certain point. Because it was a lot just of content, like, yeah. yeah, just like their whole mm -hmm. attitude and just, you know, just it was very... different for that time, you yeah. know? Like, uh, a lot of people credit, you know, Nirvana as, you know, the breakthrough of punk, but, I mean, a lot of people don't go back and, you know, look at the Dead Kennedys, Sex Pistols, yeah. Clash. I mean, they, they made a certain style of they did. music... Uh, you know, okay, <laughs> but apparently you know. Sid didn't even know how to play bass when he started. I mean, he would just well, get up there and yeah. turn it. They'd be like, turn it all the way down, and just, and like, just you just move up there. Just like, move and do your thing. Yeah, I I always look to see. I'm a, a huge fan of uh, Public Image Limited too, and mm -hmm. um, his style in that band's so different than yes. you know, the Sex Pistols. But uh, I I want to see the Sex Pistols at least once. You know. I tried to go see him once at Atlantic City years ago, but the filthy lucre yeah, tour. Something fell apart. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I, I. It's funny because we're talking about like my own band doing yeah. a reunion, yeah. but like there's something about the idea of the Sex Pistols reuniting I that know, just doesn't sound yeah, right. Them, <laughs> them being like up there, but um, yeah, great band, you know. Um, so you you play this talent show, you're in these bands. Yes. So yeah. Like so what, basically, uh, how, the how Suburban Lizards lasted one mm -hmm. gig, but the um, just one gig, pretty mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the guys, uh, I was still kind of collaborating. Like you know, I had a pretty uh, early on. I had an interest in writing songs. Yeah. But I couldn't play anything except drums, so I was very reliant on people to play guitar and um, you know to uh, help me. Mm -hmm. kind of realize some ideas so we wrote songs um into our uh first year of college which is when um he and uh actually my friend keith did join a band with him um what, what were we called oh yeah <laughs> so we became no excuse <laughs> senior mm -hmm. year it's a good name into uh into college mm -hmm. where we all like we all went to University of Delaware and I deliberately wanted to go there to keep the band together because mm -hmm. uh, I also got into Temple but 
it was very important to me to, mm-hmm. to keep my band together. So that's why I went to Delaware. Um, and so we played uh, played around Newark, uh, Delaware, pretty frequently under that moniker, did some shows. And then from there, <coughs> it kind of all morphed into um, what, in my mind, is just one long musical journey, even mm-hmm. though it's been called different things yeah, I know you mean. over the years, you know. So, like... Um, the lead guitar player from that band um, and I eventually um, formed the Caulfields. Which is really what you did a reunion show not too long ago. With them, Which right? we re- reunited mm-hmm. um, not too long ago as well. I think it was last summer. Um, so it, it was all just kind of like one process mm-hmm. in my mind of just, you know becoming a better musician and and really a songwriter that's really what my interest was in mm-hmm. like I, I eventually learned how to play the guitar I, I picked it up probably when I was 19 okay. just to be able to like play some chords and uh, you know switch it up you try were, to you were playing drums at this time yeah okay. I was the drummer in mm-hmm. in ev- in all my bands leading up to uh, right around when I was 20 when I was uh I was playing drums, but I was also becoming the lead singer, mm-hmm. uh, sort of, you know, phasing out um, the other guy who was mm-hmm. at the time lead singing, and so I really wasn't down to do like the Phil Collins thing. It, it just didn't make for a very interesting show. So for a time, I kind of just became a front man, mm-hmm. like didn't do anything but sing, and that was a very interesting mm-hmm. period because you know there was like a lot of. Uh, you know, just a lot of freedom of movement and yeah. on-stage freakouts and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Writhing on the floor of sticky bars and, yeah. you know, just <laughs> generally inadvisable things. Um, <laughs> and, I, and it became really theatrical for about, a, like, a one-and-a-half-year oh, period. Really? Yeah, yeah, like, um, I remember, like, we used to <laughs> we used to open a show with... Uh, we had this song. I don't remember quite how it goes anymore, but the song was called There's No Place Like Home, like mm-hmm. a play on the mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz thing. And uh, I would open the show, like, in a bathrobe and a newspaper, like, sitting on a real toilet that I stole. Well, I didn't steal oh, it. Like My that. neighbors from across the street had thrown out. They were, like, redoing their bathroom, so their old toilet was sitting on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and I drove home one night <laughs> and spotted it, and I was like, I'm taking that. So, mm-hmm. I I walked the whole toilet across the street, because they were across the street from my mom's house, and I, I hid it behind her hedges. <laughs> and then when it was time to do a gig, like, it, I mean, so it lived behind her hedges for, like, a year. Mm-hmm. Like, she was cool with that. That's which cool. speaks to my mother's yeah. dedication to supporting me moms. <laughs> right yeah. so i would actually like load that whole toilet into the back of my car i had like a, a two-seater mustang mm-hmm. where the front seat like went so far oh, you know man, you could bend it tough to you, get in. you could actually it wasn't that <laughs> bad like you could bad. actually throw it in the back mm-hmm. and i would transport this toilet to gigs and like put it there in the middle of the floor and you'd walk out and uh, be, yeah yeah this and then the intro uh, and then yeah. i on the intro of the that's, show that's making I would, quite the statement right off the bat there yeah you know, mm-hmm. you know so i was i kind of at the time had a, a reputation for having a little bit of a weird streak in, mm-hmm. in in how i wanted to present our shows like i also and it was always toilet related i don't know what that says about me but uh, yeah, uh like I, there I were, there were like, many times where i would like wear a toilet seat around my neck while singing and people remembered me for years, like, you know, that. because of that. Like, it'd be like, you know, I'd be like way into another musical life. And, and, remember and someone that? would be like, hey, where's your toilet seat? I'm like, ah, you know. It still worked out, right? I well, mean, I guess it made an impression. Theatrics are, you know, you know important, though. But, so, but after a time, mm-hmm. uh, as uh, bands change and personnel changes happen, like, it became necessary for me to play rhythm guitar mm-hmm. in the band. So... My days as a, f- a f- front man of that mm-hmm. nature were coming to a coming to a close. So isn't it weird how like as soon as you strap on a guitar, it's a totally different dynamic? Like it, it, yes, yeah, you know? it absolutely. Like, I feel is. weird like sometimes like 
without the guitar. Like, I'll do a couple songs, like, singing, and, like, I don't know where to put my hands. Right. Like, like, I'll hold the mic and stuff, but, like, I just don't feel... Sometimes, like, nowadays, like, I'll get up and I'll sing harmonies with somebody, mm-hmm. and it's just like, here I am standing here. Yeah. I don't know what, yeah. quite my hands what to in my do. Pockets, my hands like or this. I'll or be... Like... I'm, I'm kind of a mic grabber. Like, yeah. I'll do that, yeah. you know? And, yeah, I do uh, that, too, which makes real no sense, because you're not really yeah, going to lose your balance. It's like, <laughs> it's like this thing is just yeah. holding me up. I can't move. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it it is an interesting. Uh, it's like a, a psychological difference in how you perform mm-hmm. and and how you're, you know, seeing yourself on stage and that kind of thing. And um, but I I, w- I guess it's true that like that's how I'm most comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just this is my this is thing. my crescendo. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did the Caulfields last for? Uh, the Caulfields formed in. 92 mm-hmm. and um it was basically like a name change from a previous like it was the same four people mm-hmm. that had all actually played for probably seven years mm-hmm. before that what was the band's uh, name that was called the beat clinic oh I like so that. um so we actually put two cds out under that name in 90 and 91 which was kind of a big deal at the time. Like, there wasn't a lot of local music on CD yet, so it was actually mm-hmm. one of the first, you know, we had, a, like, a big CD release show. It was actually at Dobbs uh, for our first album. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Upstairs, or was uh, Dobbs different? N- no, it was... It was uh, oh, I'm thinking South Street. Okay, I'm, yeah. I was thinking of a different one, Dawson's. So Right, um, yeah, so yeah, so Dobbs on, on South Street, we, we did our record release mm-hmm. there. Um, on the main stage and everything, and it was very exciting. You know, it was uh, especially that. for a the Delaware band because psychologically, mm-hmm. you know, like I mean, you know, we've both played everywhere you can think of in Philly at this point. But like at that time, like playing in the city of Philadelphia was mm-hmm. such a huge deal, especially for a band from Delaware. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of big, and so we actually. You know, we were doing pretty well under this moniker, you know, getting a pretty decent following. And we actually, we played this Battle of the Bands um, for Energizer Batteries. The Bunny. Bunny, yeah. (laughs) Um, Which was like a multi, you know, tiered, you know, like if you win this one, you advance to this thing. Mm -hmm. And we made it to the finals of it. And we actually... Uh, we didn't win, but we we came in second. But the the thing I remember the most about it is that at uh, a then unknown comedian named Sinbad wow. was the MC for all of these shows. Whoa! So it was pretty pretty interesting to see how his life <laughs> went. Wh- wh- after where that. is Sinbad now? I actually literally just saw him on an episode of the Eric Andre show yesterday he had his uh, own show and he, he had, had his, his own, own show. he also had his own fashion too in a way like he would dress yes. in those really uh colorful like we found him to be like not that funny at the time but he was young and he was honing yeah. his own craft you Coming know together yeah. you know but it was it was just it's, it's just interesting like who you cross paths with mm-hmm. in the world um but anyway so so the beat clinic kind of uh lasted for a number of years Mm -hmm. you know there are still some people out there that are way more familiar with that incarnation than when the call fields came around because the the thing about so what happened was uh one of our guitar players was leaving the band and we all just felt you know maybe it's time for a change rebirth yeah because we had kind of done this for a long time and you know when you're kind of in the mentality of you're still trying to make it in the music business mm-hmm. you kind of need you know something new to happen so we changed the name of the band and because this is pre-internet it's a disaster like months and months go by yeah, people don't know what's happened because mm-hmm. you can only you can only get the word out you know by sending out your 400 postcards to your mailing list and you know maybe taking like a little ad out in the back of the the local entertainment magazine or yeah. whatever and so we actually had like a really really hard time in the beginning of the call fields like mm-hmm. even getting anybody to realize that 
you already kind of like us. Yeah. You know, this is just our new name, and we're it's doing some new think. music and stuff. Pre-internet. But, like, that's what the experience was, and it was actually so bad, like, in terms of, like, trying to get gigs and playing, and, like, we, you know, we were really discouraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... At the same time, I started really kind of taking the bull by the horns in terms of writing, or taking songwriting more seriously. Mm-hmm. So, like, when the Caulfield started, that was the first batch of songs that I basically wrote completely on my own without the assistance of the others. Mm-hmm. And I really started to find uh, a little bit of a, a musical voice mm-hmm. at that time. So, um, so the songs were there and that's kind of what kept us going um but it it was just like we couldn't really even play (laughs) because we weren't getting gigs and um it was just it was just really rough going and i started to uh you know i had like a series of like jobs just to keep me alive you know um i was pizza guy for a long time i um sort of uh, took a job as a uh, assistant groundskeeper on the estate of a kid who went to my high school, because I went to a private school. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of uh, people that were maybe like related to the DuPonts wow. around, and uh, a mutual friend of ours kind of like uh, brokered a deal where like they would hire me to like be like a, you know, just a helper around the estate, because they literally had like two full-time guys taking care of all their property. Wow. So there's a lot of land. So uh, it was while cutting some grass, like, like so they would put me on a riding mower at like 8.30 in the morning, and I wouldn't come back till like 2 or 3 in the afternoon because there's that much yeah. land. So one day on this riding mower, I wrote... Uh, the chorus to the song that the Caulfields would become known for, which was Devil's Diary. Mm-hmm. So that's the line, that, you know, the I'm bigger than Jesus now. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the, you know, the iron, the, the irony of the situation of me, like, you know, being out on this riding mower <laughs> and singing a line like that kind of struck me as funny and, and it made me want to develop the song into something. And so... And it became a big hit, right? It did. I mean, that's the song that got us basically signed, mm-hmm. and it's the song that A&M released as the single, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, responsible pretty much for any success the Caulfields had. Um, but at the time, you know, it was just, you know, we had these songs, I had demos that I did just by myself, mm-hmm. and... I would say, and I've said this publicly many times, that we were probably maybe like two months tops away from just like throwing in the towel mm-hmm. uh, because it just wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. We weren't playing. We weren't really getting any any offers to do anything. And then we luckily kind of got some opening shows for this guy, Matt Severe, which I don't know if you remember I think I the name, but familiar. he was one of the first... Philly guys that WXPN really got behind. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, really, like, his independent album was kind of like the gold standard at the time. Like, wow, he sold, like, probably, like, six or 7,000 copies of this thing just Mm -hmm. in Philly. So it was a big deal. And um, we somehow um, got an opening, a a, a series of opening shows Mm -hmm. for this guy. And we uh, impressed his manager, mm-hmm. um, this guy, Jerron Siegel. And so he said to me at the end of one of the gigs, he's like, listen, I need you to get your tape to this guy. And he lives in Delaware, and I think he'd really like it. And maybe he can produce some better stuff for you. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> he told me to get uh, to meet up with this guy, <coughs> Rudy Rubini who is the brother of Richie Rubini, who eventually became our drummer. Mm-hmm. But um, And I had known Rudy and his brother Richie for a lot of years because we had opened some shows for them, for their band, uh, from time to time in Delaware. And I went over to his house, and we listened to a, a demo that had Devil's Diary and maybe like 
two or three other songs that would eventually be on our first record. And he freaks out. He's like, this is great. Can I get this to a friend of mine who works at a record company? He works for A&M. He was my next door neighbor growing up here. And, uh, you know, I was so cynical and, like, just, I was like, yeah, do whatever you want, man. That's cool, you know? Like, I walked out of there literally thinking, like, ah, this is another Another. thing, you know, another empty promise. Long list of broken promises. Yes, shattered dreams, whatever. (laughs) Shattered dreams. So, you know, like, I'm like, oh, the guy lived next door to you, Mm -hmm. you know, really? Like... So it turns out that everything he was saying was true. The guy that he grew up next door to, Mark Mazzetti, was in fact doing A&R at A&M Records. Mm-hmm. And was the A&R guy for Sting, Janet Jackson, you know, a little more on the pop side of things. But he sent him the stuff and he really, really liked it. And I think at the time, he was looking to make a couple of rock signings for the mm-hmm. label to kind of establish himself in that realm. So he actually got back to Rudy and, you know, he was like, he's going to fly in from L.A. because, you know, he needs to come home and visit anyway. So just tell us when your next gig is and he'll fly in. Oh, cool. And I'm like, we don't have any gigs. <laughs> mm-hmm. We can't get arrested. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, do something. Get a re- rehearsal space or anything. So we went uh, we rented, uh, I guess it's RPM on Delaware Avenue mm-hmm. in Philly, and had Mark Mazzetti come in and listen to, like, our six originals. We just played them all in a row. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He was like, I want to sign you. And we were like, this can't be happening. Happening. Because this is, first of all, this is not how it happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that easy. It, like, you know, and not easy, but... Right, well, I've just, like, natural. you know, like, you're supposed to showcase in New York and do all yeah, this yeah. crap and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so we were just like, oh, great! Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was just like this weird, uh, surreal feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, well... I was going to break up the band in a couple months, but hey, let's do this instead. So, as it turns out, um, you know, we... So then we have to, like, sign a management deal with Mr. Siegel, who's the guy that Mm -hmm. tipped us off to who to get this tape with, and we had to get an entertainment attorney up in New York, and Mm -hmm. we did all these things. And um, so it was kind of like the period of time... <clears throat> when the negotiations start to happen, you know, the, it takes several weeks for them to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Well, how many album of a deal is it going to be? You know, it ended up being a standard deal that they give everybody, which mm-hmm. is, you know, seven albums, <laughs> the label's option to renew, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, X amount of dollars or whatever. In the interim, which was, like, just mind-blowing, Rudy passes away. Whoa. He comes to see us at what used to be Rex's in yes. Westchester. Mm-hmm. And it's a really snowy, shitty night out, and he gets basically walking pneumonia from being out that night. Oh. And is gone within, I don't know exactly how long, but like two weeks from then. And it just, it shatters all of us. And we're just like, what do we do? What do we do, you know? And Richie, who still was not in the band at the time, he did not make our first record with us. He joined the band after the first record was recorded, Mm -hmm. but before we went on tour. And I remember seeing him, and I remember seeing Mark at Rudy's funeral. And they were both so encouraging and very set on us moving forward with the deal and it was almost like this sense of like you know we have to make this record happen for Rudy yeah so that became kind of like the driving emotional center of what we were doing Mm -hmm. you know so 
you know, we went out. Uh, so from from the time we signed the deal, it, it was really, really heady stuff. You know, mm-hmm. we were flown out to California. We recorded at the plant in Sausalito, which is was designed and built by Sly Stone. Yeah. Uh, Metallica had a block out in the A room there permanently. Uh, you know, everybody who was anybody had recorded there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and we so we like rented this house in Larkspur, California, and mm-hmm. like every morning we would go into Sausalito and record this record, and it was it was just like a again like a surreal mm-hmm. experience because. Um, it's a dream come true, obviously, and at the same time, there was weird stuff going on within the band, which eventually led to the departure of the drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, uh, you know, personal substance abuse stuff going on with the lead guitar player, which kind of like really kind of like uh, loomed over the experience as well. So it was a very mixed bag emotionally. Mm-hmm making the record uh but we got it done and when it came out they released devil's diary as a single so this is february of 95 and it basically starts to catch fire at you know modern rock radio Mm -hmm. so the 90s are are obviously Mm -hmm. i mean even in 95 this is actually after the peak of modern rock radio Mm -hmm. as it was established by Nirvana and Green Day Mm -hmm. in the early part of the 90s. Um, But it was still pretty potent at the time. So A&M was able to get Devil's Diary into the top 40 on the modern rock chart. And we were basically on tour the entirety of that year um, and played every kind of gig you can imagine. Like the ones that we enjoyed the most were what would be considered like radio station festivals mm-hmm. and stuff the shows that um were actually the toughest were the ones where um i learned a lot in this experience because the what you learn when you're on a record label is that not everybody at the record label has your best interest at heart mm-hmm. so we got talked into some things by people at the label that I look back now and I'm like, Ugh, if I really wanted to dwell on this, I would really be upset. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talked out of uh, having like one of the most powerful booking agents in the country represent us because she wanted to represent us. Mm-hmm. And the guy at the label was like, nah, you need to go small here. You need to like have somebody to like book you grassroots and blah, blah, blah. And... If I had the knowledge that I had to have today back then, I would have told the guy to go fuck himself. Yeah. You know? Um, and I don't know what his motivation was, but it certainly wasn't anything that had my best interest in mind. Probably you know? to con- control you. You know, like to Very possibly. Keep, keep, keep the band close to himself. Yeah. Maybe. So the what ended up happening is we got a lot of these great, you know, radio station shows. So our relationship at radio was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But because we had kind of like a lower tier booking agent who was basically booking us into, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this, but, you know, we would basically be playing like the Kyber of mm-hmm. every town. Got it. Which, it. when you're in Indiana, and that's not such 40. a great gig. <laughs> Especially if you have a single in the top 40. Right. Yeah. But see, there, there's all of this kind of disconnect that I felt like wasn't coming together in the right way. Because mm-hmm. even though you have this song that's charting and it's on the radio... Like, a lot of people didn't know who did the song. Yeah, no, yeah. And because the title was Devil's Diary and not Bigger Than Jesus, it just created, you know, like these little things, like like any little thing that could go wrong mm-hmm. to keep people from making the connection seemed to go wrong. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of, like, weird, smaller gigs where, like, they weren't great and we're just out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, it was just like, all right, well, at least we have this radio festival at the end of the week. We can look forward to that. Yeah. And those were invariably great, mm-hmm. you know. But, I mean, I remember playing, like, the uh, the Cleveland Zoo in February <laughs> at, like, 8 in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Like, what kind of weird... Why is this happening? Why is this even happening? We're freezing. (laughs) Nobody's enjoying... This is not good for anybody. This is the worst. We (laughs) just don't know why you're there. Why am I here? Right. But, you know, I wouldn't really trade any of those experiences in for for anything, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's... It was just so interesting. Like, Mm -hmm. if you could separate yourself emotionally from all the ups and downs, it was a very fascinating time, time, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And we finished the year... Uh, with a tour of Australia, which was wow. still one of the highlights of my life, because mm-hmm. we toured there for a month, and we got to see, a, you know, pretty much a- every major city in Australia except mm-hmm. for Perth, which is in the western the far, part of far um, But just a fantastic time. Australian and people really know how to get down to their music, and they, they respect their bands as well. Absolutely, you know, and uh, and I I got to meet. Um, some great people mm-hmm. while we were over there and actually one of the guys the lead guitar player from this band the hoodoo gurus mm-hmm. uh came to a couple shows and i was like i can't believe i'm meeting this guy because i was a huge fan of theirs mm-hmm. and uh you know to have somebody like that like know you and know your song and like okay. your band enough to mm-hmm. show up to your gig i mean that that was that was huge so that was that was an amazing time um, and we came back, and we actually closed the year out with, like, a hometown show in Delaware mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve, which was great. And then from then on out, it was like, okay, you have to make your second record now, and you have to, you know, top the first one. Mm-hmm. And we thought we did that. We were really proud of our second record, and... um Shortly before the record came out, A&R guy gets fired. And that's pretty much it. That was the dissolution right there? That's pretty much, you know, like the record came out in what they called... I mean, they weren't even going to put it out. And we kind of like, whatever, like our entertainment attorney like talked him into putting it out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they put the record out, they put a single out, but they didn't push it. Mm. So being still on the naive side of things we were doing everything we could do like spending our own money to finance our our tours mm-hmm. um which just proved absolutely fruitless yeah. and so like after about seven months of trying um something happened uh with the lead guitar player which uh induced the breakup of the band um say no more yeah so that was that and you know i was kind of at this crossroads where you know do i okay i've been at this a long time Mm -hmm. do i pack it in do i keep going and my decision was to keep going Mm -hmm. so the very next so we break up in 97 i spend all of 98 making a solo record which was called the john fay power trip Mm -hmm. That's when I started working with the people that eventually became the first incarnation of Ike. So Cliff Hillis and Dave Anthony mm-hmm. recorded that record with me. And then uh, I did it down in Atlanta. So we had uh, a friend uh, who's from there play bass, but obviously he couldn't really be in a Philadelphia yeah. band. <laughs> so when we came back up here, um, we met up with uh, Joanne Schmidt, mm-hmm. who eventually became our bass player and so uh the four of us you know put out a couple records uh as ike actually we did two full-length records a live album and a dvd Mm -hmm. um and then around um around 2005 um you know so we kind of came to a pretty high culmination you know like mm-hmm. that was right around the stuff when local shots yep this is the album uh, in real life right in, re- in real life in real life comes out in 2005 mm-hmm. and um that's the year jackson arrives yeah. at mmr and he's going to do this local shots album mm-hmm. and he wants into philadelphia to be track number 1 yeah and from there, everything just kind of took off. So I have yeah. a couple questions. Yes. One that I've I've wanted to know this probably since the get go of discovering Ike. Okay. Where's the band name come from? Oh man! Because in my mind, it's Eisenhower. <laughs> but, you know, like, well, you know, I like, tell you, I like Ike. I wish I had the list 
of awful band names that, that we were trading uh-huh. back and forth because it was one of those situations where like literally everybody hated everybody else's ideas uh-huh. and justifiably so they were awful it happens and so i think one day i was just like we should just name the band like the name a, a name yeah name. like mm-hmm. and uh Mike just kind of, you know, just kind of came out as one of the options, um, and it was uh, at the time when uh, South Park was oh, okay. happening yeah. in in its first yeah. wave of popularity. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that baby's pretty cool. <laughs> Call him Mike, you know. And then mm-hmm. it's the kind of name that is is easy to uh, to remember. To yeah, well, that's what we wanted. We wanted like you know like. Let's drop like all these, you know, pluralizations and does, and let's just go straight. Yeah, one syllable. You know, like it worked for you know REM and U two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Simpl- let's have like a three letter name. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, and I guess at this time too, the internet is actually starting to take hold of everything. And it was right, really easy. It's to, a little easier. A little easier to right. you know get. The I band was actually it was actually kind of a kind of funny because I was remembering this the other day. We. Uh, those meddling kids played with pawn shop roses at this mushroom festival in yeah, Kennett Square video, yeah. uh, last weekend, and I remembered that um, the first gig we ever did as Ike was with the guys who were in pawn shop roses, but their name at the time was Cush, and I remember playing. Uh, it was like a a, a double header day for mm-hmm. the band, so we literally played our afternoon show as John Fay Power Trip. And then changed our name and played oh, that night cool. as Ike, and yeah. that's when we met the guys. Uh, we met, you know, Paul Keane and yeah. all of them, and it was in two thousand and one uh, wow. when that happened. And so, you know, and and really, honestly, like uh, another reason for change, like so, uh, John Fay Power Trip was, you know, a record that was conceived as my solo album mm-hmm. but it very quickly kind of became like well it's obvious like these guys like, are in my band yeah. and we should have a name for this band mm-hmm. so we actually started our second record uh without the intention of changing the John Faye Power Trip moniker and the producer actually suggested you know you guys should really have a band name mm-hmm. you know so that's kind of what got the ball rolling with that mm-hmm. Um, so Parallel Universe, which was the first record, came out in 2003, and then uh, In Real Life was the second one in 2005. 2005 was a great year for the city of Philadelphia. Um, I know that Remember When is one of the least flattering forms of conversation, but I like often to wax nostalgic about this time because <laughs> it's it, it just had this magical like element to it, you know? Like you had... like. Pepper's Ghost, you had mm-hmm. Ike, you had, you know, what would be the Pawn Shop Roses, mm-hmm. you throw in a bunch of different bands, like Still Aside, Downtown Harvest, Jealousy and Curve, you just, Jealousy yeah. Curve too, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about Jealousy Curve quite a bit here, that's another band that I would love to see get back together, I mean, We're I remember, trying, are they trying? <laughs> We're trying, like, We're people who are yeah. their friends and fans are trying, yeah, they, 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 I mean, like, those guys, I mean, not only were they the tallest band that yes, I ever played with, like, they, you look it up on stage, they look like they were, like, you know, like you know, Godzilla mm-hmm. King Cut. Like they were just well, massive. Um, two of the guys that were in the original incarnation of Jealousy Girl play in those meddling kids. Oh, Mike cool. O'Brien and Steve LaFascia oh, I didn't play know with them. me. Okay, and uh, unfortunately, Stephen has to be at the far side of the stage yeah. because yeah. it's the only place where he won't look like he's just looming yeah. because we're a particularly short band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's a great guitar player. He's amazing, and he's been my uh, recording engineer on everything I've done for the past several years. And he's very talented. He's, yeah. he's great. And he's I mean, I still have uh, my. Uh, my iPod, uh, Black Widow, comes on. So oh, yeah. I'm just like, dude, I love this song. That's a I mean, it still one. sounds good today. Yeah. 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 And they, but, did, um, they did all of that stuff in their basement. You it's know? good. Yeah. You know, but like I said, um, 2005 Local Shot series. There was a lot of like feeling of like, wow, you know, and because, you know, Silver Tide had just taken yeah. off. Mm-hmm. There was like, you know, there was a lot of feeling of possibility at and that time. And unity, too, which you I know. think is important, you know, like you bands know. working together, you know, like... Yes, I would absolutely agree with that, you know, like coming together, mm-hmm. even if it's just that once a week at the at the Grape Street, yeah. you know, where everybody was there and mm-hmm. everybody's supporting each other and it's like mm-hmm. a weeknight, 
you knew something was happening. Some, there you was know. like a, a feeling in the air, like a feeling of excitement. And yeah, you know. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist anymore. I'm sure it exists in you know different cities out throughout the United States and the world. But there was something special about the city of Philadelphia at that time. Yeah, um, and it kind of it, it kind of goes in cycles. It goes you know? in cycles. I mean, I've experienced that again since mm-hmm. then. Uh, right now, I kind of feel it's in a little bit of an ebb. Mm-hmm. You know, but. Um, you know, it really it really has so much to do with like the coalescing of different things. You know, like mm-hmm. is there a central place where everybody feels like they're at home and they can come and be supportive of each be other? Yeah. Um, and is there that level of you know? I mean, you just reeled off like seven like great bands. Yeah. You know, I feel like maybe that number isn't quite as high right now. You know, but they're still they're still out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talented people. Get, you know, yeah. but it's a matter of like kind of like everything kind of like coming together. You know, but you know with Jackson and local shots and all that. You know, I mean, you know, people were getting like real opportunities. You know, like we got that yeah. we got to open for Bon Jovi. That and year, I remember that. You know, I remember and that. Well, that was just like wow. This I is think huge. this is awesome. And that was. What, was that at the vet? Or where was no, it? No, that was at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. Okay, cool. Awesome venue, too, yeah. by the way. The yeah. way that the ceiling's shaped there, like... Yeah, it was pretty amazing, you know, and, and it was just like, you know, we got mm-hmm. interviewed, like, at length by Pierre Robert before we went on, That's and awesome. he did, like, this whole post-concert thing mm-hmm. on us, and we were just like, this is, you know, mm-hmm. you can't do much better as a local band, local band <laughs> than this you know it was a very it was a very great time first time i saw ike was at the grape um the the old location well not the old the semi old location the chemistry nightclub the stage is awesome you know what i mean mm-hmm. like uh, i was actually thinking about this morning um you remember like how you would you would get ready to play and they'd have the movie screen in front of you yes. and then like and it would, would lift lift slowly. up and you'd be like dan 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 but um, which I loved yeah, because I yeah. just thought like oh I can just be like totally relaxed and yeah. plugging in my stuff exactly without, you know. and not have people yeah right. I miss that I mean that yeah. aesthetic of the place but recall definitely seeing the band and I remember just thinking it was like you know a mixture of uh, everything that I liked of Green Day you know like the pop punk type mm-hmm. elements and stuff and I just remember being blown away I was just like oh, man this guy's man. talented lead singer um, and you know I just remember like I was. A kid, you know, I just remember those times just being really like, you know, um, not only educational as how to be a musician and stuff like that, but just the overall sense of unity and just like people coming together. And then, you know, the Jackson Local Shot CD series coming out mm-hmm. with a collection of bands, uh, the Brotherly Shove Fest, all these different <laughs> things. And like just, you know, just being able to, um, to play music in front of people was an awesome time yeah. and then I mean, um, we always loved playing with you guys because yeah you, you guys always had like that energy yeah which was a little more like punk energy to me because mm-hmm. it seemed more volatile yeah i don't know if that's that was actually or <laughs> I think it was it coming off the, that way it might have been the relationship between the members of the band po- possibly but, the it, but there was just something like electric when you guys played where i was like it was riveting to me Thank to you. watch Appreciate you guys and I, I remember you you calling me and asking to um to play your cd release show i believe at the world cafe live sometime in like Oh seven oh eight, yeah, mm-hmm. and that was a big deal because we had never played the big stage before downstairs, and uh, I think it was like the, one of the first times we ever had a dressing room with a shower in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, the option of showering. Always come Does anyone ever use I did. the shower? You did, you I did. did. Yeah, Good because like you know, it was one of the things was like you know you come off the stage and you just so sweaty. You're like, fuck it, I'm taking a shower. And you know what? Yeah, like, right. you you, you want to talk to people and relax, but right. you're still sweaty right. profusely <laughs> from right. like, you know burning out all these calories on stage. And I was like, you know what? I'm going in there, man. Yeah. I came Good out. I remember going out to the CD release thing. People were like, why is your hair wet? Like, uh, <laughs> I just it's showered. Moose. It's moose. Oh, but, that's uh, great. Yeah, looking back yeah. at the, those times, I mean, hands down, you know, I wish there was more footage of it somewhere. Like, yeah, I like to make I do a documentary too. Like, of it, I know? feel like, uh, like we had that one show. Well, two of them stick out other than the World Cafe one. What was that place on in Maniunk where it was... Yeah. It was something blue. Yes. Bourbon I, blue. I remember that well, yeah. That was like a wacky place for a show, yes. but I thought it went it was, really it was well. Downstairs, yeah. like in some sort of like, I don't even know if it's open still, but um, 
I remember um, specifically that show because uh, I think Downtown Harvest went on like last or something. Yeah. And uh, they pulled the plug like during it. Like <laughs> oh, they God. were like, they're like, it's it, it's it. And like, you know, oh, I was God. just like, what the, you know, like, come on. Like we, we played like six, seven songs and I remember just being like, just so pissed off and like I looked. <laughs> Took my bass off and like I dropped it with the volume still up and when it dropped, mm. it was a. Like, <laughs> I remember just thinking, "Hell yeah, I'm out." You know? Yeah, like, right. I felt so good. Oh and then my Chris God. like knocked down the drums and like. Yeah, but you know, like as the, was justified. Yeah, by the yeah. situation. But you know. you know, it is what it is. It sounded curfews, but um, that was a fun show. And then um, I remember just uh, what was when Jackson moved over to, what's Doc Watson? Doc Watson's. Yeah. yeah, and that room was just. I mean, like it had. It was small, but it was like RCBGBs like type of like environment where people were just here we go we're getting mm-hmm. it was a Wednesday night and people were drunk out of their minds but yeah. you know good times all around. Um, so you know, I also remember if I can uh, what was oh we we did uh, the note together yeah yeah in Westchester yeah, we did. and I have this this memory like something happened at the end of the night yeah where. You were trying to get in the back door. You or were there something. for that. Oh man! And like <laughs> the bouncers there were such assholes. Yeah. And like the guy just was being a total dick. Berated me. Berated you, and you said something like, "So is that how you see me?" <laughs> it was something like so perfectly like yeah, yeah. because you knew that it was like going over the guy's head. Yeah. And I was like, ah. I love that guy. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I remember that well that night. Cause, oh, uh, my God. And that was, the, was a specific evening where the Note, which was a great club that closed down, owned by Bam Margera. And what happened was, um, Cole, what's his name? The pitcher from the Phillies, Cole, Cole uh, Hamels. Hamels. had a party upstairs. Yes. It was just a weird you know, mix of people. We played the set, and, you know, Downton Harvest at the time was drinking a lot of whiskey and I remember just being <laughs> really drunk and pulling my van up to the back in a driving rainstorm and loading out and when we loaded out we did, we did our first you know load and then we came back in they locked us out right they wouldn't let us in because of the neighbor who later in uh, the history of the note came outside with a baseball bat and hit Bam Margera over the head wow so I, I never heard that yeah she came it's on TMZ if you like do the search um, <laughs> she came outside and knocked him in the head so this is the neighbor that they didn't want us to piss off. To piss off. Right. But yeah, I remember that. And then I remember oh like, uh, like coming inside and like all of like those guys wanted to kick my ass. And like, <laughs> you know, I was in that mode of just being like, go ahead. I'll still wake up tomorrow morning and be me and you'll still be a dick or something. I right. Forget, but yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was good times, man. Yeah. <laughs> Punk rock ethic all the way. Oh, um, yeah. Which leads us to uh, the present. Um, yes. Today, you uh, came here and you gave me... A USB bracelet. It's the box set from 1995 to now, yes. which is pretty cool. It says um, it keeps evolving here at the tail end where the USB is. It's a bracelet you can wear. Yes. You can put it into your computer. You can download everything. Mm-hmm. These are available at the uh, show coming up, right? Yeah. At, we'll at, have also them at the with show. The kids, right? Yep. And, um, you know, they're available on my website, johnfay.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I love this as, you know, something to, you know, really share, like, the you know, the entirety of my mm-hmm. music career uh, with, because, I mean, you know, it can always be added to, mm-hmm. you know. So, actually, my single that's coming out uh, at the end of this month is on there, mm-hmm. Miss America. And so, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of cool to have, like, your whole, you know, or most of your catalog mm-hmm. in one spot. I think it's genius. You know, I mean, and it's, uh, I, it's I've worked. always wanted to do something like this. And I think that, you know, it's accessible and people uh, can pick it up at the shows. We got the Ike reunion this next weekend. It's right? next week. It's the 24th. 24th of okay. September. Um, IkeOnline.net is the website That's that they can the check out. That's the website. I love the fact that it's still a .net. Still I had there. I Harvest.net too. And I, I missed the <laughs> .net, you know? And then everyone, I remember everyone was like, oh, you can't have .net. You got to get .com. And now there's like .guru, .usa. Right. Like there's right. so many different variations yeah. that, you know, people. Um, can you know do whatever they well, want? Well, I tried to get Ike.com at the time, and it just wasn't available. Or IkeOnline.com or whatever. Eisenhower's family had. And yeah, I don't, I don't know who had it. But um, <laughs> they But movie? basically, like in the in, in recent years, I've been getting emails mm-hmm. like you know, it says like Ike.com is now available. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm not changing yeah. it now. There's a guy uh, somewhere in Minnesota who refuses to sell me the Bobcast.com. 
Um, <laughs> I, it's the bobcast.podbean.com, but uh, I contacted him and he won like two grand for it. And I checked like the mm. history, like he had, he has never even posted it. He's anything just on trying it. to. I'm like, do whatever, you know, like you can have it. Um, <laughs> what was I gonna say? Um, so yeah, we got the reunion show coming up. Uh, you know, it's a pleasure sitting here in the lounge talking to you. Oh, um, thank you. It's been great. I'm excited. I'm gonna actually see if I can get a babysitter and come out. As you know, with dad life, you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, where my son go? He disappeared in the crib. He's, he's, on the probably... far, he's on the far right. Oh, okay. He 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 he's like clockwork. He wakes up right at each, one. Yeah, right at a certain time. But um, we're gonna leave you here today with a, a single that you can pick up on IkeOnline.net. Um, once again, before I go, thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. I hope you enjoyed the tea this morning here. It was awesome. Yeah, and um, we'll get this out as soon as possible. So um, here on the Bobcast, ladies and gentlemen, this is Ike with the other shoe always drops. Drop.